Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our morning service. Uh, whether you're here in the building with us or whether you're watching online, it's uh, great to go to worship together on this uh, lovely, sunny morning. Particularly warm welcome to any visitors or uh, newcomers who may be here with us uh, this morning for the first time. Great to have you here. Uh, good also to have Vicky's uh, family with us. Um, uh, Dad Alex and sisters um, Christina and Winnie, lovely to see you. Get a chance to chat with them over a coffee afterwards. And also welcome back to the group who've been at Keswick this past week. Sounds like they've had a great time and look forward to hearing more from them in due course. Well, it's good to remember why we're here and uh, who we have come to worship so that we can come with that right attitude of awe and reverence. In 1 Chronicles, uh, we read this. It says, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the creator. You are the king of this universe. Nothing compares with your greatness. And so we come this morning and we submit to you as the king of our lives, the one who deserves our worship and our obedience. We give you praise for who you are and what you've done for us out of your loving kindness towards us. And we ask that you would continue to grow us into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can pray to you as a church together this morning. Thank you that you hear our prayers, that you're powerful to answer them, and that you can do immeasurably more than all we ask or all we imagine. And we ask that you would answer today according to your will. We thank you for the group from our church who were able to enjoy Bible teaching and holiday in Keswick this past week. And we ask that they would would return refreshed and enthused to serve you here. We pray for those of our fellowship who are leading Christian camps this coming week. For Elizabeth and Samuel, Lisa and Cal. We pray for energy, for joy, for godliness and for servant-heartedness for them as they minister to the children there. And we ask that much fruit would be be born in their lives and as a result of teaching the children about the Lord Jesus during the week. And we pray for more of our mission partners this morning um, as they hold out the light of Jesus to our world. We ask for journey mercies for Bethan, Lilia, Joe and Naomi as they return to Senegal. And we do thank you for their visit here. We also remember Steve and Matilda as they finish up in Canada Uh, We pray they'd have a refreshing final couple of weeks there. And we ask for opportunities for them to visit uh, various people they still may need to see uh, before they return. We pray that you'd be speaking powerfully this morning through John Billett's preaching in High Wycombe. And we ask for your wisdom for Neil as he looks to starting a new boy box ministry for dads this autumn. And we also pray that you raise up necessary leaders if it is to go ahead. Thank you that you provide comfort to those who suffer. Please comfort those among us here who are ill 
who are suffering, who are despairing at this time. We ask that your word would particularly speak to them this morning. We also pray for those believers who are being persecuted for their faith right now. And we specifically ask that you would comfort the family and friends of the two Christian men beheaded by Islamic militants in Mozambique this past week. We ask that the violence would cease in that land and your church to be strengthened and for people to turn to you there. For all those Christians suffering, we ask that they would remember the hope that you provide for them in eternity. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our reading is from John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30. That's John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, Where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. And thank you so much for reading for us this morning. Uh, before we start, uh, let's pray. 
Uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. I pray that by your spirit you'll be at work in our hearts this morning. Illumine our minds, open our eyes, and touch our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Please do keep your Bibles open. Uh, It'd be a great help to me uh, if you're able to follow along uh, with me. Uh, We've been working our way through John's Gospel, as Neil said, and we're picking up again now at uh, John chapter 8. We'll be working through John 8 through to John 10. Now, the context uh, for the conversation that we had read this morning is that Jesus finds himself at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is one of the major festivals for the people of Israel. Uh, Jews from all over Israel, from all around the Mediterranean, would have flocked to Jerusalem. And the feast was uh, for the people to remember what God had done for them through history, the way that God had had his hand on his people. And at the heart of the festival uh, was the remembering of the rescue of God's people out of slavery from Egypt and the provision that God had made for his people. And the imagery of the Feast of Tabernacles uh, pulls from the accounts of water flowing from the rock in the wilderness, a pillar of light that led the people out of Egypt and guided them through the wilderness for so many years. And the feast, it really did tug on the key motifs in all of the history of the people of Israel to that date, uh, the harvest uh, of drought, uh, of coming uh, into winter darkness, the wanderings through the desert, and the ultimate uh, rescue of the people of Israel by God. And together with those things was the promise that God had made that when God returned, when he finally came to his people, that he himself, God, would be the light to His people and a never-ending light. Now, while the feast was going on, uh, the outer courts of the temple, there were these four enormous stands, each with four large bowls filled with oil. And these would be lit. And the, the, the people at the time would say that the light that came from these lamps bouncing off the temple illuminated the whole of Jerusalem. And the light from the bowl signifying that when God returned, God himself would indeed be the light for his people. So the Feast of Tabernacles is pregnant with meaning and significance. And it's in that context right there that Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. So as we look at our reading this morning, I want us to see three things. Uh, firstly, that... Uh, Oh, there we go. Uh, firstly, that without Jesus, the world is in darkness. Secondly, that without Jesus, uh, the world is in danger. And thirdly, with Jesus, there is deliverance. Darkness, danger, deliverance. So firstly, without Jesus, uh, we are in darkness. Uh, In verse 20 of our reading, we're told uh, that Jesus is in the temple courts with the 16 lamps lit, pouring out their light. And in the sight of many people, Jesus says, uh, take a look look with me at what he says in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And, and that statement would have been deeply uh, provocative to the Jewish leaders at the time because the imagery of light was so closely attached to God himself. But Jesus doesn't say that he's the light to the Jews only. He says he's the light of the world. And when Jesus uh, and John record, when John records Jesus saying the world, he's not talking just about the physical realm, the earth, physical earth, but he's talking here about all humanity in rebellion against God. It's a technical term. All humanity in active rebellion against God. And Jesus comes as the light for all humanity, all people, in all places, at all times, all of humanity. And obviously that means that without Jesus, without that light, we are all in darkness. Humanity without Jesus walks in darkness. And the Pharisees, well, they didn't like what Jesus says. Take a look with me uh, at verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him. Uh, the Pharisees were a group of people uh, who knew God's law and they sought earnestly to live by it, to obey it. They were the morally upright and respected members of their society. And it's to these people, it's to these people that Jesus gives the most brutal diagnosis. He tells them that uh, those, to, to those who know the law well and claim to live by it, tells them in verse 14, he says that they are ignorant, that they judge falsely or by human standards. See that in verse 15. And then in verse 19, he tells them that they simply don't know God. To the Pharisees, the ones who uh, everyone looked up to, who knew the law, Jesus says, you're ignorant, you judge falsely, and you do not know God. They walk in darkness. So in a few words, in verses 14 to 15, Jesus lays out his diagnosis. Uh, Firstly, the Pharisees challenge Jesus and they say, look, you cannot be your own witness. And they remind him that in the law, if there is a case to be brought, you need to bring witnesses. You cannot testify for yourself. But before holding out his heavenly father as his witness, we see that in verse 19, he tells them in verse 14 that even if, even if Jesus did testify about himself, his testimony would be valid. The the Greek word there literally is it would be true. As Jesus stands underneath the bright lights in the temple courts, Jesus says that he is the light and that they are in darkness. Jesus can say this because in the dark, the light is obvious. It's self-evident. It's self-referential. It's undeniable. Light doesn't need the darkness to point it out. Light reveals itself. And that's why Jesus says, if I wanted to testify to myself, I can be a witness for myself. At the previous church I served at in Thames Ditton, we had a a space right down the front uh, of the church, a little corner uh, for prayer. And it had a small electric candle uh, there. Sometimes uh, people forgot to turn it off. And through the winter months, 
if I ever had to go into the church to do something, uh, it'd be completely black, pitch black. But if somebody had left that tiny little electric candle light on, 100 feet away, the other side of the church, I could see it. The smallest of lights, visible. Even though... At night, the darkness in that building, in that church, was everywhere. The place, if you like, was full of darkness. There was nothing that the darkness could do to the light. The darkness couldn't crowd it out. It couldn't smother it. It couldn't block it or obscure it or do anything to stop it. The light is unimpaired by darkness. The darkness, if you like hasn't understood it. And without Jesus, without the light of the world, Jesus says that the Pharisees are in darkness. They are ignorant. And it's not just the Pharisees. It's anyone who lives without Jesus is living in the dark. Now here there are both encouragements and there are challenges. The encouragements, even the smallest light is visible. Uh, you may think that as your friends and your neighbours see you week after week, diligently coming to a church service, making church a priority in your life, that that's a small thing. But that small light shines in the darkness. Uh, you may think that refusing to join in the gossip at your place of work or bad-mouthing someone on social media is a small thing. But it's a small light that shines in the darkness. Now you may think inviting someone to a guest service or bringing them along to Friday at 7 or some other event is a a small thing. But it's a small light that shines brightly in the darkness. Even the small things that we do shine brightly in a dark world. So be encouraged. And the challenges. Do we, I wonder, allow the light of Christ to shine in all parts of our lives? Do we love the light of Christ or do we love the darkness of the world? Do we long to bring all areas of our lives before and into the loving light of Christ? Or are there areas of our lives that we like to keep Jesus out of. We like to keep the light out of. Are there aspects of our relationships where we just keep Jesus out of? Are there friends that steer us towards the darkness rather than steering us towards the light? Wherever there is darkness, wherever there is darkness in our hearts, open those things to the light of Christ. Bathe those things in his goodness. Bring them to him in prayer. And allow the light of Jesus to heal you. Uh, Secondly, in verse 15, take a look with me. Jesus says that because the Pharisees are in darkness, they judge by human standards. And that Jesus passes judgment on no one. Now, Jesus isn't saying that he won't 
judge at the end of time. I mean, the Bible clearly teaches that he will. Uh, Indeed, if you just look down a few verses to verse 26, uh, you'll see that Jesus says he's got a lot to say in judgment. That on that last day, we know, and the Bible teaches, that Jesus will indeed be the judge of all people. And the biggest and the most important judgment is whether or not we belong to God. Whether or not now we are part of his kingdom. Whether or not now we are his children. But because the Pharisees are in darkness, they don't know how to make that determination. How to make that judgment. The problem Jesus highlights for the Pharisees in verse 15 isn't that they deny judgment. It's that they judge incorrectly. And how do they judge incorrectly? Jesus says that the Pharisees, like all people, judge by human standards. But what does it mean to judge by human standards? Deep in our hearts, we think that God grades on a curve. That the good people are at one end. That good people are at one end. And the bad people are at the other end. And in our mind's eye, what we do is we spread everybody out across our ruler, our standard. And everybody who's below us are bad. Everyone who's above us are good. And surprisingly, yeah, we just find ourselves just the right side of the line, don't we? Yeah, wherever, whatever the judgment is, we're just the right side of the line and everybody else down this end uh, is not good. And the problem is that there isn't just one ruler that we have. <laughs> Some people have a ruler of money. Yeah, and we measure good and bad people based upon how much money they have. Yeah, good people this end with loads of money, bad people this end with less money. Then we have a ruler of smarts, clever people. Yeah, clever people on this end, they're good, God likes them, bad people uh, the other end. And so it goes on, doesn't it? Family happiness, one end of the ruler, other end of the ruler. Dress size, one end of the ruler, other end of the ruler. Body shape, one end of the ruler, other end of the ruler. We all have different rulers and we judge on those standards we judge we judge others against our standards on human standards we judge that some people are good enough for the kingdom and other people are not good enough for the kingdom and we are constantly measuring on our standards and jesus says that for us to use our own ruler our own judgment is to judge incorrectly. All of these human judgments are judgments that are made in the dark. I wonder what your ruler is. What are you measuring people by? And we'll come back to right judgment later. So if being without Jesus means that we're in darkness, being with Jesus also means... Being without Jesus also means that we are in danger. Without Jesus, we're in danger. Now, if being in the dark wasn't bad enough, Jesus tells the Pharisees and us that without Jesus, we're in great danger. And intuitively, right, we, we, we know that, don't we? That being in the dark is a dangerous place. 
We just can't see what's going on uh, around us. And we can't see the danger that lies there. Uh, many years ago, we were, I was on a, a night exercise at RAF Catterick. Uh, we were doing manoeuvres, going from one place uh, in the darkness uh, to another place uh, in the darkness. Uh, there was no moonlight, there were no stars, it was cloudy, it was raining, it was an awful evening. But the NCO that was leading our platoon was absolutely sure, and fair play to him, for most of the night, he was right on the money. He knew where he was taking us, and so we diligently followed along, hearing where he was uh, a few steps ahead. And then, all of a sudden, I don't know why, he just suddenly decided that this way, this way. You heard the trees and the bracken stir and break as he climbed through where he thought he should be going. And then, all of a sudden, splash. He disappeared into five feet of water. He just couldn't see the danger in the darkness. And so, for the Pharisees, they were in darkness And so for us, if we don't know Jesus, we are in the darkness as well. But it's not a small danger like falling into a ditch that we weren't expecting. Jesus says the danger of not knowing him is much, much bigger. There's an eternal danger. And in verse 21, Jesus spells that out. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Jesus tells them he's going away and that he's going to a place where they can't come. He's already told the Pharisees in verse 14 that he's going to be with his father. And that's the very place that the Pharisees think that ultimately they'll be with God in heaven. But Jesus says, no, that is a place where you cannot come. You see, the judgments that they've made, the human judgments for admission into the kingdom, do not lead them to the Father. The judgments that they've made about their own acceptability to God are just wrong. And getting that wrong isn't a small thing. That misjudgment has eternal consequences. And Jesus says in verse 21, they will look for him and they will die in their sin. Now, what Jesus says here is actually quite, exto- it was quite astonishing. Uh, the Pharisees knew that they were waiting for the Messiah to come. God had promised that he would send someone to rescue his people. Jesus acknowledges their right to look for the Messiah. And here he says, the Messiah, well, it's me. Jesus says that he is the Messiah, the Savior. He is the one that they are waiting for. And he says that even when Jesus has physically gone from them, they'll continue to look for the Messiah. They'll continue to look for the Messiah. And that's Jesus. There is no other Messiah. They will continue to look for the Messiah. Jesus says, that's me. When I've gone, you're going to continue to look for me. And the danger that they face, the danger that anyone who doesn't trust in Jesus faces when they die, is eternal death. It's an eternity that is being cast away from the goodness of God, what Jesus calls the outer darkness. It's a place that the Bible calls hell. It's the sin of not believing that Jesus is who he says he is. That's the sin that places people in hell. It's the sin of not believing that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Dying without believing that Jesus is the Messiah leads to eternal death. What Jesus says is death in your sin, the sin of disbelief. And I say that acutely aware of the significance of those words. I know members of my own family, many of my close friends, yeah, who I love dearly, who don't trust Jesus and die not trusting Jesus, they are going to be cast into the outer darkness for all eternity. And maybe that's true for members of your own family. Maybe that's true for your own friends. But there is hope, right? There is hope. Every day is a day that the Lord has given us, you and me. Every day is a gift for us to be able to hold out the gift of salvation, to hold out the gift of life to those who do not yet have it. Every day is a gift. So let me ask you, how are you using that daily gift to share the love of Christ with people who don't yet know him? And then Jesus presses the point home in verse 24. Uh, He says this, I told you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. And then this prompts The right answer in verse 25. Who are you? They asked. The right question. Who are you? It's the question that all of humanity needs to ask. Who are you? And who is Jesus? Uh, In our reading, Jesus explains that he is the one who can bring them and us out of darkness and rescue us from danger. That Jesus is the one who brings deliverance. And that's our final point. With Jesus, there is deliverance. As Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, uh, he's been testifying about the darkness they're in, the danger that they're in. But Jesus doesn't leave them in that place. He doesn't leave us in that place. Jesus tells them and he tells us that there is a way out. There is a way that they and we can be made right with God. And it's all rooted in who Jesus is. It's rooted in his identity. Three times Jesus tells them that there's good news in who he is. Uh, Take a look with me at these verses. Verse 12, 24 and 28. Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then in verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. Now in each of these verses, there is a phrase that Jesus uses, it's, I am. Take a look at those I am statements. Again, in verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In verse 24, I am. And then in verse 28, I am. Now, in the last two verses, the translators go for I am he 
to make it grammatically fluid. Uh, but in the Greek, it simply says, ergo emi, I am. What Jesus says in these three verses is electric and it's heavy with incredible meaning and significance. In these three verses, there is the light that our souls need. There is the light through which we find and have rescue. Uh, Back in Exodus 3, you may recall that God uh, calls Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses calls him and Moses says, well, if I'm going to go to Pharaoh, who shall I say sent me? In other words, God, what's your name? And God says, tell them, I am. God's name, I am. And here, Jesus takes God's own name for himself. Who are you? They ask. And he responds, I am. He declares he is God. And this isn't a mistake. Uh, Jesus takes the divine name for himself and he takes for himself some of the attributes that are God's alone. The light of the world that the people of Israel understood to be God, Jesus says in verse 12, that's him. I am the light of the world. With the light, we can know where we're going. The people of Israel knew that God was mighty to save. And in verse 24, Jesus says that by believing in him, by believing in Jesus, that that is how salvation is found. Jesus is the saviour. If you believe in Jesus, you will not die in your sins. The people knew that the final judgment is God's. And Jesus says that he has a lot to say about judgment of them. Jesus is the judge. That prerogative of God, Jesus takes for himself. And then in verse 28, Jesus explains what it means to judge correctly. Take a look with me. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man... Then you will know that I am he. The judgment that God makes is this. Because of God's holiness and justice, God simply cannot let our rebellion against God, our rejection of God, go unpunished. And when God looked down from heaven, he saw that there was no one who had loved God with all their heart, mind, soul and strength. There was no one who had loved their neighbor as themselves. And our rebellion means that we deserve to be cut off from God for all eternity, to be cast into the outer darkness, because the violence that we have done to our relationship with God by refusing to acknowledge him as God is a tremendously, tremendously horrible thing to have done. It's so great that we could never make that relationship with God right by ourselves. But extraordinarily, God did not look down in anger, but with a heart full of compassion and with mercy. God looked down from heaven and he set his unfailing love on you and on me, calling you and me. And God called us by sending his only son, the light of the world. And that light left the throne room of God and stepped down into our darkness. 
And he came not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. Jesus came to live the life that we should have lived, and then he died the death that we deserve in our place. To pay the penalty for your rebellion and mine. The price we could never pay. The light of the world, we sang, stepped down into darkness. And when the light stepped down into darkness, what did we do? We judged him. We judged him by human standards. Our evil, our anger, our hatred, our malice, and our self-centeredness. All poured out on the light. And the light was extinguished. On the cross, as the Son of God died, darkness fell on the land. The light of the world was extinguished so that you and I, you and I, might have within us the light of life. That you and I might never walk in darkness. And when the Son of Man was lifted up on the cross, God's judgment against us, against you and against me, was swallowed up by Jesus. God's judgment was satisfied. And so because of what God has done, because of that judgment, entry to the kingdom is possible. Adoption as God's children is held out to all who would receive it. And if we're willing to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and to trust in him alone and recognizing that nothing that we do saves us, then we have access eternally to the kingdom of God. By trusting in Jesus, in trusting in all that Jesus has done, we have access to the Father. We have access to God's promises to never leave us, to never abandon us, to never forsake us. To know that God delights over you as one of his children. Do you know that? Does your heart skip as you dwell on that? You see, the right judgment isn't a horizontal ruler. The right judgment, the godly judgment, is the lifting up of the Son of Man on a cross. And trusting in his work. The judgment of God is this. It's vertical. It's not horizontal. It's vertical. The right judgment is whether or not we trust in the work of God. In and through Jesus on the cross. That's it. And on that final day. It's God's judgment that counts. Not how we think we performed on our rulers. It's his judgment. And his judgment is this. Do we, do you and I, personally, individually, do you and I believe and trust in Jesus? Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer. Uh, it's great that you're here with us. You're welcome at all of our public meetings. Or maybe you've been part of this church for ages and you still don't know quite where you stand. 
wherever you are, believer or not, given what we've thought about this morning, about Jesus being the light of the world, that without Jesus there's danger, and amazingly that with Jesus there's deliverance. Given those things, what I'd like you to do after the service is chat with the people around you about this one thing. Ask them, what stops people from accepting the gift of salvation offered by Jesus? At the end of the service, turn to the people around you and just ask that question. What stops people from accepting that free gift of salvation offered by Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus the light of the world into our darkness. I please stir our hearts this morning with the glory of the gospel. Astound us afresh with the truth of your love set on us, rescuing us from eternal danger. By your spirit and through your word, help the truth of your love for us be a lived reality in our hearts and be evident in our lives. Give us the courage to invite you into the dark areas of our lives, trusting in your goodness. Minister to our hearts that we would have the courage to shine for you in the darkness, to be a light to those in our schools, our places of work, and in our homes. Help us to glorify you in all areas. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've heard this morning how without Jesus we are in darkness, we are in danger. But with Jesus there is deliverance because he is the light of the world. And he promises that uh, whoever follows him will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In 1 John 1 we read this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And that's why we're celebrating the Lord's Supper now. Because through his blood that was poured out for us, the blood that was shed on the cross, the penalty for our sins has been paid for. And we are declared innocent and clean. A passage in 1 John continues, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So before we come to the Lord's table, um, let's take a moment to confess our sins now. A moment of quiet to reflect individually. Um, Maybe think of those areas of our lives which are still in darkness, where we're failing to, to, to shine the light of Christ around us. A moment of quiet, and then we'll have a prayer of confession that will appear on the screen, which we'll say together. So let's say this prayer of confession together on the screen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against your children, our brothers and sisters, in thought and word and deed, in the evil we have done and in the good we have not done, through negligence, through weakness, 
through our own deliberate fault. We have wounded your love and marred your image in us. We are sorry and ashamed and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that has passed and lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light. Amen. Let's continue in prayer as we give thanks for the supper we're about to take. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, that in your love and mercy you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to save us. By this offering of himself once and for all time, Jesus made the perfect, complete sacrifice for the sins of the whole world and satisfied your just demands in full. Jesus commanded us to remember his death until his coming again. So hear us, merciful Father, and grant that we who eat and drink this bread and wine may remember his death and share in his body and blood. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite the servers to come forward. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. All those who love the Lord Jesus and trust in him alone for their salvation are encouraged and invited to take part in this supper. If you're not yet at that point, it's great to have you with us, but uh, feel free just to let the plate pass without any embarrassment. Take and eat. This is the body of Christ which is broken for you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We'll keep hold of the cups as they're served to us until everybody has been served, and then we'll drink together as a symbol of our unity in Christ. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace, and opened the gate of glory. So may we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us, so we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Do please just discuss that question the Saab left for us before you head off to coffee. What stops people from accepting the free gift of salvation offered by Jesus? And let's close as we go into this week ahead. 
with some words of exhortation from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Amen.